Uh, give me just uh, a few moments. Uh, a few moments. Number one for Mike Milton. I've tried to get him to drop my name. I'm afraid that one day uh, your ministry will be s submerged because of me. Because you have adopted this practice of always mentioning me. Except I got a phone call from a guy in Africa who thought I was the chancellor. And he thought that I was the... And I said, no, it's Mr. Milton. Mr. Milton. But we are good friends. And Reform Seminary is worth your dollar as well as your prayers. And this church had a lot to do with it. That's the first thing. Second thing is that I've always been proud of the fact that your pastor uh, grew up in our ministry in a previous church. Before I came to this church, I was in Gadsden, Alabama, and that was Chip's home. And so Chip has always been nice to me. Uh, he's always been gracious to me, but he's gotten me in deep trouble this morning. He has required me to introduce my family and have them stand up. And they're going to they're gonna descend upon me when this is over with. But it is your fault. <laughs> I'm not going to ask Jim and his family because they were members of this congregation so long. But we left here. We left here 30-some 30, 30 years ago. And uh, are you going to stand up, Jane? That I get, oh, come on. That's, you stand up by yourself, Jane. Jane? Oh, Jane. I love that woman, and you do too. And, uh, and then the two sons, seldom have these two been, been back, but they count Macon and this church as, as their home. Uh, I'll, I'll give them in, in, in geographical order. Uh, David, would you please stand? These two are officers in the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi, and John Mark. And they loved this place, and this is home. You may be seated. Now that's out of the way. One of the most vivid scenes in the life of the Lord Jesus takes place as he is moving down from Galilee, down through what we call the West Bank, on his way to Jerusalem, and there he will be crucified. Ministry on this earth, except for that last week down there, is just about over. And then this one thing happens. On the way down. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And we are in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I had my Bible over there and I picked up this Bible. And so I've got to find everything in this Bible. The seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and it is the eleventh verse. Thank you, Chip. It's the seventeenth chapter. That's what I'm looking at. And what, what was this sermon about again? If you think I'm discombobbled, 
You are right. That's right. It's the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we are in the 11th verse, Chip tells me. Yet this scene, he's coming down into this, he's coming down into this village and something happens that is just dramatic. This is the word of God. Now this is a true story of the life of the Lord Jesus. Hear the word of God. The 11th verse. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing through Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. God, give us insight into his holy word. We still don't have an answer here in this century to leprosy around the world. It's only been in the last decade or so in Louisiana, we closed a hospital. The United States closed a hospital that was set aside for lepers. And so because it was an infectious disease and because it could be passed on to those around them, they were, they were set aside. They could not even approach Jesus. These ten men were in quarantine. They see Jesus. Somehow they know who he is and they have heard what he's done to other lepers. And as he is passing by with his crowd with him, they cry out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. It's a way of saying, Jesus, heal us. And he looks back at them as he stops and he does a very strange thing. Strange to us. He says to them, go show yourself to the priests. Now it makes sense to us. It did to them. You see, they lived under a theocracy. They understood. A theocracy is a direct... This is how numbers of religions around the world today, not in this country and not in Christianity to this day, but in other religions, a theocracy is God rules directly by his rule, by his priests. And so, under a theocracy, 
the Jewish leader, the priest in that village, was not only the religious leader, he was also the medical leader, and he was also the lawyer. He was the head lawyer. Jesus is saying to them, there's a man back there who as a medical leader can declare that you are healed completely and that he can give you as a legal leader a writ that will say you can go back into society and nobody can question you. You can go back and live with your family and your wife and you play golf and go get your career. You can do anything again. Go show yourself to the priests. Now in your mind's eye, notice that situation and those ten men. You're one of those ten men and you're looking. Go show ourselves to the priests. I would imagine that one of them said softly so that others could hear, gee, I thought he'd come over here and, and put his hands on us. You know, you're in the same position of those ten men this morning right here today. Absolutely in the same position. You see, all you have from God this morning at this time is his word. That's all you got. It's all they had. And I want to tell you something. Nothing happened to those men. Nothing. Until they acted upon that word. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? What am I trying to tell you? Yes, read that holy word. But brother, you better be acting on it. There's a big difference. A big difference. Those men stood there, and the Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed. Not when they stood there and did nothing. When they acted upon, go show yourself to the priest. And when they moved towards that village and toward the priest, they were healed. It's a miracle. It didn't happen over 15 minutes. It didn't happen over 15 hours. It happened instantaneously. And the nerve ends from their hands and the nerve ends particularly from their feet that dry up because of leprosy were healed immediately. A miracle. They broke out, I believe, in a hundred-yard dash. Find that fellow. And one of them stops. And when he stops, I'm sure the other fellows half ran over him, had to hip around him. What's wrong? He said, I'm going back across that field, and I'm going to say thank you to him. I'm going to give thanks. And the other nine said to him, he knows my heart. He knows I'm thankful. He went back. And he fell down at Jesus' feet with a loud voice, and he said, thank you. And Jesus is watching the whole scene. And the other nine running down there. And then he says to this man, he said, where are the other nine that didn't bother to return and give thanks except this Samaritan? I'm going to come back to that. He was a half-breed, philosophically and religious. 
not a real Hebrew. Jesus said, where are the other nine? They didn't return. You know what that says? It says, number one, this. Most of us believe that being thankful is a religious warm feeling in your heart. Oh, Not so in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. You see, thank you in the eyes of the Lord Jesus is an act. Not just a feeling in your heart. It wasn't until that one stopped, went across that field, fell down, and said, thank you, that Jesus said, where are the other nine who did not return to give thanks? They were not thankful. Do we have that straight? And agree about what the Bible says is thankfulness in God's eyes? In the eyes of the Lord Jesus? And then Jesus, I think, helped that fellow up. And he said, go your way, son. Your faith has made you well. <laughs> Aren't they well? The other nine are running down there. there. They're, they're well. No, Jesus is talking about something else beside that physical miracle that he just pronounced on that guy. He said, something's well in your heart and in your life. Difference about being really as some of the other translations will put it, you've been made whole. And the Hebrew and the Greek word means that. What a story, eh? I'll give you the benediction. We go home. No, we're going to eat first. We say, thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Well, one problem. You see, when I preach... I always study. I've been to seminary. And I ask myself this question. So what? So I heard the story and I believe it. Because it's the word of God. So what? And under God, I hope you're saying the same thing. You've heard it. So what? So this, number one, how in the world could those nine not understand, not sense, if this one is going back, they ought to go back as well. How could they be so filled with ingratitude? My answer to that is, it's easy, baby. <laughs> Real easy. Before we came to Gadsden, Alabama, we were in Bruton, Alabama, Lower A, the Lower A, Lower Alabama, L.A. Little church, nice little town, active. I'm the pastor, and that was it. I was it. And so on Sunday, I would teach the Sunday school, I would preach the sermon, we'd eat, maybe do a little, check the hospital, come back, get ready. We'd have a little snack again at the church. I'd preach again, then I'd deal with the young people. And all this time, 
Jane's got these four boys, and we're trying to teach them this is the Sabbath, and we're going to honor the Sabbath day. We're going to do like the elders' kids are doing. We're going to be here, and we're going to try and do the right thing under God that we, as we saw it. And then Jane got this wonderful idea that in the middle of that afternoon, trying to keep these boys in the backyard and keep them, we'd all come together in the living room at the round table where we had our prayers. And Jane would come and give each one of us a tall, frosty Coca-Cola. It was the only Coca-Cola of the week for the whole family. That was it, period. It was lovely. And so we go to Gadsden, Alabama to find Chip Chiller, Chip Miller, find out where he is and get that sinner saved. <laughs> and the first day we send those boys off to school and we are unpacking and there comes a knock at the door and there stands the leading elder, Ralph Langford, had a son, was one of the first five to go to Reform Seminary. And Ralph has got his arms full of four cases of those wooden cases of 24 Coca-Colas apiece. 24 Coca-Colas in each case. And he says, these are not for you, preacher. These are for your, boy, your four boys. Ooh, thank you, Lord. I'm thinking, man, oh man, does he know what he's doing? He has no idea. And so when the boys come home from school, we say to them, uh, boys here, an elder in the church, and he has given you uh, all these Coca-Colas, 24 Coca-Colas, just for you. Whoo, they couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it, 24 Coca-Colas. And wouldn't you know, that Sunday, that was on a Thursday, that Sunday, we're getting ready to come home. We thought everybody had gone from church. I got those four boys uh, in the back seat there. And um, who comes around the corner of the church but Ralph and Lib Langford? And I say, Ralph, please come over here. And so he comes ambling over, and I say to the boy, roll out the window down there. This is the man who gave you the Coca-Colas, what do you say to him? What do you want to say to him? And so Ralph leans down, and the little beautiful bared boy, sweet-faced thing, looked up and said, Sir, we are out of Cokes. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and all you got to do is grow up. That's all you got to do is grow up. It's in your heart. It is just amazing how natural. I'll give you another one. I'm on my way to go to Mexico to preach at the Baja, the, pre, the, pre, the Mexican Presbyterian Church Baja. And I'm going to San Diego. They're going to get me. And I'm ready. And I, I, gotta, I got three days with these Mexican pastors to, preach, to teach them about preaching and um, Lo and behold, uh, I've got to have an interpreter, and uh, half of them are going to understand English, and half are not. It's, it's going to be a mess. And I've got to get this thing ready, and, um, and I'm on that airplane. I sit down, and I get my Bible out, and I got that book, and I've got my pen. I'm, uh, and this guy comes and sits down. We take off, and this guy turns, and he says, You a preacher? And I said, Yes, I'm a preacher. 
He said, what kind of a preacher? Just that kind of voice. What kind of a preacher are you? I said, I'm a good one. <laughs> There's some guys you've got to deal like. That's the way you've got to deal with them. I said, I'm a good one. He said, no. What denomination are you? I said, I'm a Presbyterian. He said, oh, you're one of those predestination guys. He knew something. I said, yes, I believe in the biblical doctrine of predestination. He didn't say anything. And then after a while, he said, can you talk to me? I was almost waiting for that. I closed that Bible. I said, yeah. He said, my life. He said, you've never heard anything like this. And he began to tell me. And I said to myself, I never heard anything like this. I spent three years in the United States infantry. I not only heard it all, I saw it all and participated in some of it. Before I got saved. I've heard it all. It's been 50 years since I've been preaching across the aisle in airplanes, in the office, and uh, in homes. I've heard everything. And it's true. But in 50 years, except for one sin, I have never once heard that guy look me in the eye and say, I am filled with the sin of thanklessness, ingratitude is filling my life. Not once. Isn't that interesting? I've heard them all. Never that one. Why not? You see, none of us think we are thankless. None of us. Until we understand what is the biblical doctrine that thankfulness leads to an act, and that is biblical thanksgiving, an act. Is there someone here who's sitting here saying, you don't know my life, preacher. You don't know what's gone on in my life. You don't know my heartaches. You don't know that I am crushed right now. I'm hurting so bad. And you're telling me that I should be thankful? Is that what you're saying? Is there anybody here like that? You know. I think we would be amazed if we went up and down these aisles and said, you got any breaks in your heart? I think you would be, I would be amazed. Let me tell you something. There's a verse that goes like this that God gave to the church at Thessalonica. He said, in everything, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
Beloved, you don't have a choice. It is the will of God that you give thanks for everything. Not the good things only. Everything. And I want to tell you, the cross didn't look like everything was good, but it was the best thing. It may take more than three days, but you'll get to the place where you can... I remember a guy, I remember one guy, I thought he's going to come across the desk when I said, have you given thanks for this situation? I thought he's coming down across that desk to straighten my head out. There are some things we think we cannot give thanks for. Dealing with a guy not too long ago, I said, let's just name some things that could be thankful in this. And it was amazing as he began. I don't care what that heartache is in your life. I don't care what it is. You can begin to think these things have really been good because of that. At the beginning and immediate, I can understand. If you go out there and you've got a flat tire, you're not going to say praise the Lord unless you're a Pentecostal. What you're going to say is good gracious. And so when that heartache comes, you don't begin. But I want to tell you, when joy and the secret, it takes place when you begin to say, what can I be thankful for in this situation? Everything give thanks. And you and I know, I would not be standing here preaching the gospel if it hadn't been for the first heartache in my life at the age of 27. I was a charmed boy, 27 years of age, before I had a heartache. And so there are some of you here with a heartache who are crying in your beer and have never said thank you for it, have never sat down and spelled it out in words. I can be thankful for this and this and this and this in this situation. Do it. As another reason why you must learn how to be thankful, and this is the most crucial of all the reasons why you must be thankful. And I'm going to read you something that will blow your mind and it as though I didn't see this for years in the Bible as a so-called Bible teacher. When men knew God, they were without excuse. For they did not honor him as God or give Thanks to him. That's when men fell away from God. All you have to do is two things. Don't honor him in this situation and don't give thanks. Here's the result. Let me read this and then I'm going to tell you something. 
They were without excuse. They did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their, fule, their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's what's happening so much of America today and the world today, and it's been that way since the day of Jesus. They became fools and thought they were wise. You know what happens when you don't give thanks to God and don't honor God, worship God? God's wrath comes upon you. And this passage tells you what the wrath of God is. You know what the wrath of God? You young people listening, the wrath of God upon you is this. He lets you go. That's all. He doesn't snip your head off and throw you down and stomp you. He's not a big thing in heaven with a stick. His wrath, don't read now, but when you go home, you begin to read about the 20th verse of the book of Romans in the first chapter, and you read it to the end of that chapter, and it'll tell you that God three times says, and God let them go. He just let you go the way you want to go. That's all. That's his wrath. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. And when you do, you read what happens. It reads like the morning newspaper today. It's happening worldwide. It is unbelievable. Read it when you go home. And read the first thing that happens. I'll just tell you what the first thing that happens. The first thing that happens when God lets you go the way you want to go is you get sexually mixed up. Interesting, huh? That's the first thing. But that ain't the only thing. And you talk about a mixed-up society, that's, what, that's society we're living in. We're living in. Maggie, I want to give you some, one more thing, and I'm going to close on this. You see, Jesus is upset with this man who did not come and give back those nine men who found it natural to get on with their lives, you know, because... They didn't honor him or be thankful. And he just let them go. But this one, he said to him, you stand up, young guy. You got it all. You got it all. You young people, can I speak to you young people for a minute? All of you young people, you want to have your life thrilled and straightened out and really, really filled with joy? Be thankful. Simple as that. When mom and daddy said when you were a kid, say please and thank you. Man, that thank you will straighten out your life. The thank you is not only a thankfulness to God, it's a thankfulness to your fellow man. Your, your brother and your sister. Are you thankful there? Are you thankful? Is your mother still alive? Remember, thanksgiving is a demonstrated act. If you've got a mother who's still alive and you're thankful, then you do something. You make up that bed for her sake. Let me ask you, you men, in this church, when I was pastor here, we started this program 
got 14 guys and me, and we started in for two years, two hours, every Monday evening. And then after two years, we got our wives together and broke it up into groups of about 12. And we had over 500 period people. And some of you still remember those groups. Programs run out. I understand that. But I want to tell you, something happened with those 500 who got involved in that two-year program. In that program, those 15 men met for the first time and got an assignment. You know what the assignment was? The assignment was, say thank you to somebody who deserves it, who has not received it from you. That was the first thing. At that time, I said, oh, that's... But now, you see, I understand why. That was crucial. Of those 15 men, one guy wrote a letter to a, a sixth-grade school teacher that he'd had in California. And another guy did this and that, you know. Eleven of us said thank you to the same person. Isn't that amazing? You know who that person was? Not the pastor. Our wives. Eleven of the fifteen sat and thought about it and went back and told their wife, thank you. Thank you. How about it, man? Are you thankful for your wife? How about it, wife? I'll be through in a minute, honey. How about it, wife? Are you thankful for your hus husband? Then do something. Do something. I want to close with this one illustration because it deals with Mike and it deals with the seminary but it deals with his church. It deals with his church. There was an elder in this church who became the moderator of our general assembly. His name was John Clark. He was my neighbor. He treated me like a son. He loved us. John Clark. By the way, he became the leader of that whole movement of growth groups. I didn't even deal with those growth groups. John Clark ran the whole thing. John Clark had an older brother. John Clark's older brother was the president of the School of the Ozarks in the Arkansas Mountains. John Clark's brother came back from World War II, got a hold of that school, became president, and that thing in the Ozarks became, became a jewel of a school. Anybody within... 50 miles who had a B average up in those mountains got to go to school without free of charge. I walked on, Jane and I walked on that campus not that many years ago, and you just looked around and we said, man, somebody's got money up here. All of that school was nothing. And John Clark's oldest brother was the man that brought all that success. When RTS started... In Jackson, Mississippi, in the middle 1960s, when we said, this is stupid, and Sam Patterson said, we got to have a new seminary, 
There were about five men, and some, Sam said to them, How big is your God? How big is your God? When they said, We can't start that seminary that is a miracle today. We can't start it. Sam Patterson became the president. One of the first things he did was write John Clark's older brother as president of the School of the Ozarks and said, How did you do it? Sam was coming president of RTS in Jackson. How in the world did you do it? And John Clark's brother wrote back one simple sentence. You know what that sentence was? I learned how to say thank you in a godly way. Period. Interesting, eh? I could tell a story about you and you teaching your people as a businessman, how to be thankful, and they became successful. And they were just common people. How about it, you businessmen? You want to be successful? How about you students? How about you men? You want to become successful under God? You learn how to say thank you. It's a demonstrated act. As we pray together. As your heads are bowed, remember that Samaritan? He went back and said, thank you. Of all the people, Jesus had mercy on that Samaritan. That Samaritan was not a Jew. He's amazed that Jesus would heal him. We are Samaritans spiritually. We are amazed that Jesus should die for me on Calvary's cross and take away my sin and make me a new man. Make me thankful. Heavenly Father, hear our prayers. We are Samaritans, but we want to be thankful. Help us. Truly help us. For Jesus' sake, amen.